talking so fast you can run his podcast at point five. Results are conclusive, just know that he argues both sides. His GM is a shadow of his normal self. Doppelganger stealth. Welcome to season two, episode 16 of the Shadow of the GM podcast. I've recently started an actual play um, doing Northern setting for Dungeon Fantasy powered by GURPS. And as part of the conversations around that, I was speaking to Doug Cole on the Discord server about doing a bit of a blurb for the show, a bit of an introduction to what Northern is. And out of that, we had a conversation, not just talking about Northern, but we also got on a bit around a bit about Dungeon Fantasy in general, a little bit about um, the fantasy trip, a bit about uh, Fantastic Dungeon Grappling, which is another product he's released about grapple rules in GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. And this is effectively the result of that conversation. So without any further ado, I present to you my interview with Douglas Cole from Gaming Ballistic. So I'm joined today by uh, Douglas Cole of Gaming Ballistic, um, and today we'll talk a bit about the Nordland setting uh, that I'm going to be doing as part of my actual play. So first of all, thank you, Doug, for coming along today on the show. Hopefully it's not too early for you. <laughs> no, no, here. not at all. It's uh, <laughs> it's actually perfect. It's 9.30 in the morning, kids are off to school, and my house is now empty. So <laughs> it's uh, the only thing that I've got uh, to disturb me is a pesky kitten. Well, I might have a dog in a minute. I tend to get the dogs thrown at me when it's getting noisy in the house. So we might have been joined by pets quite soon. We shall see. Uh, the main thing I wanted to ask you was for the listeners to the show uh, and especially on the actual play was that we're going to be setting it in the Northland. I'm going to massacre some of the pronunciation on this setting. I do apologize to anyone in advance that I don't speak Icelandic or Old Norse. So during the whole actual play and everything, I will probably get the pronunciation very badly wrong. So I do take the mind. But I guess what I wanted for the listeners was maybe for you to talk us through kind of what the setting is and what they can maybe expect from some of the adventures that the players will be having in it. Absolutely. So Nordland is um, basically somewhere between historical Viking land and Disney Viking land, if you really want to call it that way. Um, it, it's not how to train your dragon, but it's also not, you know, gritty. Uh, um, we want to get the history all entirely correct. Basically, what it boils down to is that the, I guess, culturally uh uh adapted or or what we think of when we think of, of vikings and some of the pieces uh, of the culture uh, are kind of your your og D, D party right your role-playing party right yeah. uh when you think vikings it's like you know you go out and you do brave deeds you're expected to fight you're expected yeah. to go out and and kill things and take their stuff right um and, and so as I was putting together a prototype fantasy setting, um, I decided that really you could have a deeper experience by having these cultural touchstones um, in in the setting. And and I had started doing sword and shield work uh, at a Viking martial arts school. Yeah, and and. You know, the, the fighting is tied to culture. And, and so kind of Nordland really as a setting 
is for me a way of taking the the expectations and tropes of a fantasy role-playing game and putting them in a context where your day job is to go out raiding and kill things and take their stuff made sense or at least enough sense that you could start hanging things off it yeah um and so you know the 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 northern setting is uh, geographically it's minnesota uh if you if if you uh, if you actually take a uh, so I, that's where i'm from um yeah. and if you take a look at the broader map and you line up uh, uh a Karisborg, uh with duluth and konungsborg the capital if which may or may not be on the map with the twin cities you're like oh look <laughs> no and you know that means that wisconsin has been sunk into the sea which you know <laughs> no one will miss them kidding, kidding. um but uh and in canada is the bad guys which you know um that works out um so but yeah so it it's it it's geographically and climate wise it's uh a, a setting like that but i wanted somewhere that embraced the standard tropes of of, of dungeon fantasy role-playing game um while at the same time giving enough touchstones uh to uh to hang some really cool adventures off of i mean personally it quite resonated with me i think growing up i mean i grew up in scotland originally i don't sound it anymore i know but i'm actually originally scottish lived in scotland for uh, almost 20 years and now living in the north of england there's a lot of a lot of history around you know viking invasions viking settlements i mean york's just around the corner effectively for us we we're just there the other week for like some of the you know exhibitions around york and the excavations so it kind of really resonates with me especially i used to love viking mythology and some of the sagas when i was younger as well so you know it really took me but i guess from the point of view of my players um what's probably some of the things i should emphasize to get that kind of northern feel i mean for myself some things i've looked at already or some of the, the names of the creatures so it's kind of i really like getting away from the D, &D tropey creatures for lack of a better way of putting it there's not like beholders there's not illithids you know it's not goblins as such i mean they are slightly reskinned i think you probably admit yourself but you know i guess from your point of view what are some of the things i could do to emphasize to try and get that feel across to the players you know i i think there's once you get out into the wilderness it's going to feel like any other bog standard role-playing game. You're out there, you're doing your thing, you're surviving. I think the big difference to make it a Nordland game is to emphasize what happens when you get back to town. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that the setting tries to do is every locality has its main festivals, which you can, I'm going to do a little, uh, shameless promotion of various books the main festivals that you run into uh are found in hand of asgard in the back yeah um and those are uh tied to some of the major events in the calendar uh the the northland calendar begins in march yeah uh with the equinox yeah. because january 1st doesn't make any sense Right? Yeah. There's nothing special about no, January yeah. 1st. No. But the equinox is is something that the whole world can see. Yeah. Um, so it starts at the equinox um, with a couple of festivals, and then there's at least one major festival per month. And I totally stole the Nordland, the uh, uh, regular calendar because you know there's there's only so much you can ask a player to memorize. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I do know. Um, what I mean. 
So in any case, there's uh, one of the things that I found out in researching the settings is and, and medieval life in general is there's like 60 holy days a year. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've got at least yeah. one thing going on pretty much every week. Yeah. And one or two a month of those are big deals. Yeah. So so I really wanted to embrace that. And the other thing about it is that it really gives a game master a fantastic hook to introduce the culture and the setting to a new group of players to either this particular setting vikings in general or just the world that you want to play because what i usually do is i have the group coming in frequently by ship yeah because that way where they started is is um uh vague uh every time i do an open form thing i have bandits attack the ship yeah on the way in uh it gets people used to the combat rules and then when the inevitable defeat of the overmatched bandit force yeah. uh, uh uh is registered the players walk into town with a reputation they have stories to tell and people are telling stories about them and that gives a great opportunity for the local lout to give a shoulder to the barbarian because he couldn't be that tough. Yeah. Right. And then, then it's like, oh, well, are we going to draw weapons? Well, no, it's a friendly wrestling match. And the loser, uh, the winner buys yeah. drinks after. Right. And, and you get to feel how the inherent, the violence inherent in the system, to borrow a line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you get to feel how a culture that is steeped in violence, that seems to be steeped in violence, can can embrace that without necessarily having blood and guts every 10 feet. Yeah. Um, it also uh, gives an excuse, uh, and I will take any excuse to break out the grappling rules because yeah. I love me my grappling rules and whatever, whatever. But but you know, a friendly wrestling match, you know, the very first story ever told, the the epic of Gilgamesh, uh, featured Gilgamesh and Enkidu getting yeah. together and becoming best buds over a grappling match over a woman, of course, that yeah. destroyed local property. I mean, it was so epic. <laughs> it brought, it literally brought the house down. Um, and so, and people, of course, you know, they've been telling, people have been telling that story for thousands of years. So it's a, it's a nice way to say, look, not every town conflict needs to be a bloodbath and a festival. You get to say, oh, well, here's the wrestling ring here's the match and you get to see a reputation with that and here's the uh the archery competition and here's the drinking competition and here's uh the flighting competition for you know insult contests and all of these different things where you know like someone wants to start a fight and the other person says well yes but your mother is funny and and you dress weirdly and and your nose is ugly or whatever right and that's not exactly epic verse but I'm not exactly a scald, so there you go. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of, of ways of doing interesting conflict and, and interpersonal stuff uh, that's provided for in the setting in, in some of the books. Uh, most of them are on, in the Citadel at Nordvorn. Yeah. And I like that particular area as a jumping off place, largely because it's unscripted. Right? The The characters can do whatever they want they can go off into the hunted lands 
for a couple of one shots. There are enough adventure seeds in the book uh, to occupy a party for a bit. Um, and if the party wants to make friends with the one Jarl, they can try that. If they say, oh, this other Jarl, we're going to help them rather than oppose them. So there's all sorts of stuff that they can do guided entirely by a relationship map uh, yeah. in, instead of <laughs> a flowchart. Yeah. Um, and so that's always, for me, a good way to not just introduce the campaign and the culture but also to see what they want to do yeah and then after that hopefully you can get ahead of them i'm debating at the moment because um i was looking to run crypt of uh Krisivik, ah, Krisivik, um, yeah, sure. because because i've got it and it came with uh, delvers to grow which we might talk about a little bit in a minute actually um there was a list of things to mention um but I was I was debating in my head whether to drop them off at Nordvorn first for that reason because I prefer to run a bit more open-ended campaigns and I think I can still do that with Krasovic anyway and the fact is I know none of them yet a couple of them have actually bought the product but I haven't read it yet or that's what they tell me anyway but we'll soon find out but I can tweak things if I feel like they know too oh, much yeah. what's going on because um, I know they've done I'm going to promote more of your stuff here I know they've done Hall of Justice already so I might still run that but again I think I'll make some changes to it just to warn you when it comes out if you listen to it there might be slightly different only just to throw that particular player off a little bit. Not too much, you know, to, you know, right. don't mess no, with absolutely. the plot, but enough to kind of, you know, so they can't guess too much about what might be happening or what might be going on, um, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, to get back onto the fantastic, I'm trying to get the title right for this book, Fantastic Dungeon Grappling. Is that the right phrase? I can't remember the name. It is, that. it yes, is. Well, I've got that one right. Um, I am looking to use that this time around as well. I have, I am running another... Uh, dungeon fantasy is mostly moved to grips fantasy campaign uh, and i have tried to use it a little bit because grappling hasn't come up too much in that one to be fair but when they have rather than get my head around the grips rules which i don't not that i don't like them but i prefer your rules one of the advantages we have as well is we're using foundry vtt and it actually yep. already has yep. that inbuilt into that program now because i think some of the people working with you on the patreon and stuff are involved you know they do foundry as well so we've got a bit of good crossover on that one so that makes my life a lot easier just to throw those numbers in and it kind of tells me that information out which would be quite cool so i'm looking forward to giving that a little bit of a spin and this is the first time i'll be using it properly so it'll be good to good to give that one a go well, the um, nice thing about fantastic dungeon grappling is it, it grew out of a i won't say it was a more complicated system but there was a lot more there are a lot more hooks in the original technical grappling, but that was written in like 2012 or 2013. Yeah. It was written a long time ago. And in what is now nearing a decade of play, we discovered through hard lessons what slowed the game down and what was awesome. Yeah. And I sat down with some of my co-conspirators, one of whom was Kevin Smith, who's wrote uh, uh, the Delvers to Grow books and, and Hand of Asgard and, and uh, Nordlander Folk. And in particular, I like Kevin's sensibilities for what's core and makes the game better and what's not. Yeah. And, and so we brutally stripped everything that was less fun or made you look up rules instead of playing the game uh, and managed to condense that book down to about four and a half pages and then we added some magic spells yeah because uh and, and anyway and, and what we found is that you know it's not overpowered yeah. grappling has its niche yeah. uh but depending on what you want to do with it uh it really opens up some really neat stuff um you know if i were writing a gerps fifth edition myself uh i would definitely it, it, it can be hard, but there's some really neat things that you could do to bring 
the grappling and the manipulation of the other purpose, weapons and body uh, more strongly to the front. Uh, I don't want to digress too much uh, this show yeah. uh, because that's not why we're here. Yeah. But if we, if you ever decide that you want to say, okay, well, you know, people don't just trade blows two or three times a second for five or 10 seconds and, until somebody turns into shredded meat. Yeah. That's usually not how people fight. Yeah. Um, and, and FDG really helps bring a, a better pace to fighting if you want to use it that way. Yeah. Uh, but in the dungeon fantasy role-playing game at either at 125 or 250 points or whatever, you know, you kind of want to get to the good stuff. Yeah. Right. You don't want to say, oh, well, look, we spent 30 minutes playing circling and then I did something and he screwed it up and then I killed him, which is how most real fights go. Yeah. Right. You, you circle, you probe, you do whatever. Someone makes yeah. a mistake and that's about that's yeah, the end. That's your opening. Yeah. And, and, and GURPS does that natively. It just compresses it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that you necessarily want to embrace the full the full bit but yeah anyway i i really dig fdg and then the thing that i really like about it and and people think of oh well how can my character grapple as a game master grappling is for monsters and grabbing player characters and lifting them off the ground <laughs> so that they can be eaten by eaten by the big toothy maw <laughs> is tons of fun and you should frequently do it yeah um you know, oh, here's a little goblin. He's harmless. But his 30 buddies <laughs> adding control points together are much less harmless. And getting yeah. dogpiled by uh, a swarm of small creatures uh, is, is about the worst thing because <laughs> uh, most player characters don't make the proper investment in a short weapon with close combat skills. Yeah. And they realize the folly of their, of, of their life choices very quickly. <laughs> Definitely. And <laughs> so just touch on something else I mentioned is Delvers to Grow. So yes. it's uh, your most recent Kickstarter. Well, second to most recent no, Kickstarter. That's right. I guess I, yeah. It is yeah. the most recent Kickstarter. Kickstarter because yeah. the, no, I was uh, going to say, the thing that I'm doing right now is direct to backer kit, but that's a different story. So the, the thing that I most put into it was that my experience of GURPS when I talk to players who don't play GURPS is that it's difficult to build characters. They say that, especially when you're, you're introduced to the, especially the whole basic set with GURPS, should we say, there's a lot of stuff in there that's not relevant, lots of tech levels, lots of skills, lots of advantages, and trying to work out how you build a character. So when you look at games like D&D, that's the most popular one out there, dare we say it, um, where you basically just pick a character class and make a few choices, and it's fairly easy to throw a character together if you random rolls and off you go. And so that to me was always a thing. And fourth edition did address this a bit with some of the templates. And again, Dungeon Fantasy RPG did it again with more sort of refined templates that give you options. But there's still a lot of, you've got all these choices and 60 points, pick them. And as I know, some people don't want to sit there and read through all the advantages and read them. So Delvers to Grow really kind of addressed that to me by having, and maybe you can probably talk more about it than I can around the system of, you know, you break it down into your fast, your strong, and your smart Delvers, and that brings you to your professions. And you make a small number of choices around how you refine that and then that builds your character and it does it in quite a good descriptive way i feel as well so um. that's right so so yeah i mean you've you've hit most of the high points but i will amplify a little so so i agree and even as a writer for the system i do not enjoy the character creation metagame yeah right i, I don't enjoy building characters that's not where i have my fun yeah. that does not mean that it is fun for you know there are lots of other people and frankly i think the people who inhabit the gurps forums and the gurps discord and stuff tend to be the people who really enjoy the character yeah. creation metagame but my own experience and it is somewhat anecdotal but i think it's backed up by 
what other like Crom, you know, that Sean Punch has said, yeah. is that those people are a select few, a self-selecting few, and that most people just want to play. Yeah. And, and so what Delvers to Grow does is using mostly natural language um, allows you to take pre-curated packages that benefit from an awful lot of system mastery that's under the below the waterline you know yeah. uh it, it, it's the synchronized swimming above the waterline it's all pretty and graceful and below the waterline or water polo for something else you've got flailing feet and all kinds of crazy <laughs> yeah. but that's not what you want to see you want to see the graceful thing that leads to yeah. the character and what delvers to grow lets you do is you say what archetype fast strong or smart are you want to do what's your profession going to be and because the dungeon fantasy role-playing game is built around professions it it, it funnel doubles to grow is a facilitator for that yeah if you want to do something different you can and it's easy to just say oh well you know pick any upgrade you want or swap this out or move yeah. around but you can get to a 90 percent character in anywhere between the record is is three characters in 10 minutes yeah um and the more typical is ready to play in 15 yeah um and and so one of my uh patron subscribers runs a walk-up a pickup game yeah where you can just walk into a his the, his game store and play dungeon fantasy role-playing game just drop in and and that's something that everyone is used to with old school D&D or 5th edition or low level, even low level Pathfinder, which gets very, very complicated at, at you get higher levels. At first, second or third level, you're really only make, still making a couple of choices. Yeah. And, and that is entirely possible with Delvers to Grow, uh, thanks to the great work that, that Kevin did. Um, but that's what I wanted. I wanted something where you could say, I'm going to be a fast delver archer and i'm gonna pick or a scout i should say um and i'm gonna i get and that gives me these certain modules that that give me my core capabilities and i get to pick two disadvantage modules i frequently will pick those first yeah. uh for 50 points of disads that are thematic and i want to build on that i think that there, there i i would like to publish an entire book of backgrounds and disadvantages yeah. and stuff um that uh that will broaden that a bit uh but and then you pick an upgrade module what am i particularly good at uh, i think if you're playing at the 187 level you get two upgrade modules yeah two upgrades yeah, um true. but it's that's it and then you pick a loadout yeah uh if you're a smart delver you pick a spell list yeah um kevin hated writing those by the way because they're hard <laughs> they're hard yeah. work yeah, you got all the prerequisite chains for yeah. for for wizards chains and stuff, pain, and, yeah. and and yeah. So I mean, but you know, the, it it covers the the blaster caster, uh, and there's some really neat uh, trope defining things that he's written, like a heroic spell slinger, which makes yeah. the you know fireball slinging yeah. mage a little bit more friendly. Um, but in any case, you're talking like a half a dozen choices and then play, uh, and there's a lot of them like heroic spell slinger. You kind of it's it's what's on the tin. Right. Yeah. What does heroic spell slinger do? Well, it pretty much does what it says. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be flinging magic around, and that's what you do. 
Um, what does Arms Master does? Well, you're a master at arms. You get to use almost any weapon as long as you've invested in them. So it, it, it's a lot of the stuff are things that are very synergistic. So you don't have to know the system to yeah. know that you're going to be, oh, what are you? I'm a wrestler. I'm a beefcake, right? I'm a slab of beef. Uh, I, or a mountain of meat or whatever it is, right? You know, it, it's, they're, they're very evocative. And so in a couple of choices, uh, you can start play. And, you know, I for a lot of people, I think they look at this and say, well, I'm really good at GURPS. I don't need that. I'm like, yeah, but your friends probably do. Yeah. Uh, or the people that you want to bring into the game, people who might really enjoy it, uh, can get playing and get exposed to the power of the system at the table, which is really quite simple. Mostly yeah. you're rolling 3d6 or a couple dice for an effect roll or whatever. Um, GURPS is very fast at the table, but the activation energy, to borrow a technical term, is high. Yeah. You, have to, you have to get over that character generation hill. Yep. And frankly, that's what a well-crafted setting, like Nordland, even if I do say so myself, <laughs> does as well, is it lowers the activation energy for world building for the GM. Yeah. Well, what what am I doing here? Well, you're playing fantasy Vikings. Okay, I can embrace that. You kind of have a an expectation of what that's going to involve, and then you can, uh, well, what is the cosmology the same? Well, a little bit, mostly, mostly enough. Yeah. Right. Uh, and where it's uh uh, and that's kind of why why the dungeon fantasy role playing game. There's actually a fun a short answer to that as well as a long answer. The short answer is I wrote it for the dungeon fantasy role playing game. Uh, uh, because I was allowed to, okay. right? I, uh, my, that's what my license says is right for this. Yeah. However, the great thing about the box set is that I can hand it to an author. Yeah. And say, this is what you need. Yeah. Right. He, here's a world guide ish. Uh, here or here's here's Citadel at Nordvorn or Hand of Asgard or Nordlander folk. This is the worlds and races and whatever. Here's the rules. These books are all you need. Yeah. Um, and go right. And and they have and they do. And yeah. sometimes, like in Crypt of Chrysovic, you know, I'll get what they do and say, okay, this isn't quite consistent with how this works. As Nordland guy, I'll say, okay, do this instead, or how yeah. about this? And then, you know, we tweak it out and then we publish it. But not having to say, well, what about sages? What about the time travel this uh, is this part of infinite world no right if it's not in the box it's not there yeah a and it makes it much easier to wrap your arms around as a publisher as a writer and as a player and so i probably would have embraced the dungeon fantasy role-playing game for my own and my my player base's sanity yeah anyway because if you want to do that you don't want to come in and say here are the 42 books that you need in order to play this yeah however i feel very comfortable saying here's the box set go yeah and, and to be fair that's some of the reason why i've used it a lot more recently for that reason that if some of the players i've got a new player some people were new to gurps and it was easier to me to say this is dungeon fantasy adventurers and spells these are the books you need to read and there's what 130 pages out of the two of those that's including all the spell lists as opposed right. to throwing a massive book with everything about gravity and radiation rules and that they just don't need for a fantasy setting and it really slims it down to takes things that tech levels aren't as important in there so they're they're taken out 
and it really and it gets to you get to the table faster the same way we talk about Delvers to grow it gets you to the table faster it gets them to read it understand right. what they're doing they get the idea of the setting and it's it's easy because it's you know fairly standard fantasy in, in that sense but yeah. with Nor but with Northland it'll be quite good because I'm going to bring that touchstone of the 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 Norse for lack of a better word kind of mythology into there but again like you said it's that to me that's an easier step in for most players where you know they don't have to delve through the whole things of GURPS and I, I like GURPS I'm not slagging off GURPS to make that one clear here I do enjoy the fact that it's a flexible because I've played all right. sorts with it but for new players I want to make it as accessible for them as possible where like you said you can just hand them things and say this is the book you need to read it's quite short there you go you know read through it and then obviously you know they get to that table faster and it really works a lot better in my opinion right and, and there's nothing wrong with with you know, I mean, jumping in with the, you know, what you want is for people to have fun, right, yeah. ultimately. And for people who want to sit around a table or around the screen and, and interact with, with people playing a fantasy game, you know, you don't want to say, oh, you want to play a role-playing game? Great. First, let's talk about your character. And then we'll have session zero with all the other players. And then we'll tweak out and then I'll do world building and then we'll play how does you know a fortnight or two or three sound to start well you've lost most people at that point yeah right what you want to do is say oh you want to play a role playing game bam here's the box set bam here's delvers to grow 15 to 30 minutes later we're going to be rolling dice killing monsters and taking <laughs> their stuff and that's what a well-crafted setting and, and quick start character generation rules do. If after that, they're like, well, you know, I'd really like to do this instead of this. You know, as long as you're not too far into it, then you let them do it, right? Yeah. You let them tweak out their character and yeah. say, oh, well, yeah, you can do some of this. And if this is the game that people wanted to play, we can introduce these rules or whatever. Um, and that's always a better, you know, that's no different than saying, hey, I got this cool splat book. In, yeah. in in Pathfinder Fifth Edition, um, can we use it? Well, let's take a look at it and see how it works. And blah blah blah. That, 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 there's no difference there. Yeah. No um, but so. the the key is that you want to get rolling um, right away. Yeah. Uh, to to get to get people invested in the game. So moving on from Dungeon Fantasy and Gerbers for a second, talk a little bit about uh, the fantasy trip. Um, sure. So I'd never heard of the fantasy trip before. To be honest, I'm quite a newcomer to it. To be honest, um, and I think. I can't remember if I came across it through your website. I might have done actually looking at your Nordland stuff, your uh, Nordland stuff, and I sort of stumbled across it. And I never knew what it was before then. But I'm quite interested in some of the OSR kind of stuff, so like the original D&D &D and stuff. So I found it quite interesting from the point of view that it's almost like a GURPS version of that. When I first looked at it, it was basically, you know, when you look at things like Melee and Wizard, uh, where it's basically you're breaking it down to just Melee characters, and it's very much a stripped down it's more like a combat system to be fair really the fantasy trip really with like some of the role-playing elements kind of added in once you get into the labyrinth but i found it quite interesting when i kind of jumped into it um and i guess i'm interested to know why i guess from your point of view you you've done the northern stuff you've also done the dragon heresy which is 5e so i guess what's your interest in the fantasy trip and what's kind of brought you maybe you might have played it originally when it came out i don't know so. i did not uh i i uh uh ironically the so the reason why i'm doing tft is because steve asked me to uh, we were we sat down at GameholeCon um, in in Wisconsin, uh, and I had I can't remember if I had just published Citadel at Nordvorn, um, or uh, or was about to uh, about them, but it was close. It was around the time that Nordvorn was coming out, um, and you know we were having a a casual business meeting, and I was like, hey, you know what can I know what Gaming Ballistic wants to do. 
uh, but what does Steve Jackson Games want Gaming Ballistic to do? And Steve was very, you know, uh, uh, laconic as usual. He says, right for the fantasy trip. I was like, well, I've never played it. Uh, I don't want to do it badly. So let me look into it. Um, and I looked into it. Cool. As you say, Melee and Wizard are very explicitly combat systems. Yep. Uh, Melee is a dueling game. Wizard is a game about dueling wizards. And then into the, in the Labyrinth is the role-playing elements layered on top of that. Um, and rather than say, okay, I'm going to do this myself, I found, you know, Christopher R. Rice and, and J. Edward Tremlett and David Pulver had already written for the fantasy trip where we are, have been long collaborators and, and interlocutors in other forums. So I was like, hey guys, what ideas do you have? And they sent me back, uh, I think each of them sent me back five or 10 adventure ideas. And I said to Steve Jackson, and I wrote them in a sort of a bullet point format and I sent them over to, to Elaine Dawson, who's the uh, um, uh, licensing director. I said, okay, these are people you've worked with before and, and, and minimizing the newness and the risk on an advent, on an initial collaboration are super important. Yeah. Um, cause you want your first toddling steps to go well. Yeah. Um, so in any case, it's like, we've got, you know, I'm a good project manager. These guys have done work for you before. So that's low risk. Here are these ideas. I'm thinking of one or two per author set. What, which are your favorite? And they said, yes. And I said, well, what do you mean? Yes. And they're like, yes, do that. I'm like, do which one? They're like, yes, all of them. You just pointed to all of me, right? Back to, you know, uh, how to train your dragon. So, okay then. So that was 10 things. Yeah. Um, and so we sequenced them out in, in two groups of, in, into groups. And I was going to do it a certain way, but the, the, the history of that doesn't really matter. But yeah, so, so that's kind of how the TFT work came about. Um, and, and it's gone very well. Uh, uh, the, the, the fantasy trip, when metagaming folded, the fantasy trip IP kind of went into the wind. Yeah. It didn't belong to Steve. Um, anyway, he had to wait a long time to get it back. Um, and because of copyright law. And then when he did, there was this, uh, surge of interest by people who loved it yeah. back when it had come out in the late 70s, early 80s, I think 1980. And so these are people uh, uh, who still love the game, want to play the game, want as much of it as they can get. So yeah. it's, it's a very uh, uh, friendly market yeah. uh, uh, for the most part to get into. Um, and, you know, the stuff has been well-received and David uh, and, and Christopher and, and uh, Jay uh, are, have put together some good stuff. Um, and I also wrote some quick start uh sort of things uh the character collections uh volumes yes. uh, which allow you to grab non-player characters or there's some rookies books so you can yeah if someone you just play anyway so and, the, and then we have these you know cards and stuff that that uh uh the tft people love their game aids yeah they love cards <laughs> they love counters uh yeah, and chips, uh <laughs> yeah exactly and so that that makes it a a little bit uh friendlier as a publisher too because it, it allows you to have multiple kinds of things that you offer yeah uh that that people are interested in and they make no beans about being interested in them right so um so anyway it's uh, it's been it's been some it's been fun uh you know i'm getting to know the rules more and more and the cosmology of the game is different 
than than most other games. You know, there's magic is real. The gods aren't. Yeah. Um, and and that definitely makes for a different kind of play. Yeah. Uh, it, it's much more grounded. Yeah. Right. Even even it, much like GURPS, even a high level character will will die from a knife to the back. And yeah. TFT is still very much it's that very way. It's brutal. Yep. <laughs> That's my experience. It, it, it can be very. <laughs> you have to be a very canny fighter to, yeah. to live for very long. Um, so yeah, so it's a different kind of play, but it's also, again, because you can generate a character in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's a game that people used to, and I still potentially could, where you sit down around the lunch cafeteria lunch table, yeah. pull out melee, make a couple 34 point fighters, yeah. have a battle, pack it up and then go to your one o'clock meeting. Yeah. Um. And and that's what it was designed for, and it's what it's very good at. Something I got um dragged dragged into, sucked into with it, but <laughs> through the the modules you had was the solo play. Did a lot of solo play for a while because I couldn't get gaming groups and time together, and I found it really good for the solo play, the programmed adventures that you've got in there. Um, I found them really enjoyable. It was and it was good to the fact that characters died a fair amount in there, and it was quite good to be able to throw another character together really rapidly because obviously when you try to fit it into your lunchtime or whatever, like you said, it was better to be able to do that. So. I would enjoy it. Um, but let's talk a bit about the newest one that you've got just now called Tower of the Moon. So that's come out right. straight on Backer um, IT, isn't it? So that, that's IT. right. So Tower of the Moon is is a conversion of an old school D&D adventure uh, that David and Thomas Denmark put together a while ago. Um, and the, the nice thing about it is it's very self-contained. It's got, it's very flavorful. Gothic horror kind of, you know, werewolves and and uh, uh, you know, blood, horror, and death, and a wizard's tower, and, and yeah. you know, classic stuff. Um, so it was converted to TFT, uh, heavily rewritten, heavily rewritten for TFT um, to to fit the milieu. Like you know, the in the D and D version, you have the moon god Lucariel. Well, yeah. there's no moon god, so yeah. that person must have been a hero or a cult figure or something or other that started this thing. So you've got some very different cosmology, but Tower of the Moon. Uh, is one of those things where it was on my desk during some of my prior campaigns. It wasn't the right time, but then now it became the right time. I'm like, okay, we can do this. You know, I looked at it, I edited it. I'm like, well, all right, I've got it. I've done, David did the writing. I did the editing. It's done. So I'm just going to pay him because, yeah. you know, he did the writing and I did the editing. So it's ready. So I paid him. Uh, I got the maps, uh, paid for those got the illustrations page so i'm like okay i'm ready to go this is not a crowdfunding situation yeah this book is ready so um and kickstarter has rules you know you want it to and of course you know phil reed recently did a one out one day kickstarter yeah um uh you can go as short as a week but then you get to wait two weeks for things to process yeah. and then you have to do a backer kit phase because you don't really know what shipping is going to be or who ordered what. And, and <laughs> yeah. anyway, so I was like, let's try something different. Well, let's go right to the pre-order phase, yeah. which isn't a pre-order. It's just an order because the book is ready. Yeah. And every night, sometimes a couple times a day, but you know, every night I say, okay, who ordered what? I'm going to lock those orders, charge those cards. Um, and I actually should be getting, so the campaign, the product launch, uh, went off on the 3rd of September. Yeah. Um, and I took the step of ordering 100 physical copies uh, in advance. Yeah. 
those arrive today yeah. and I will start shipping tomorrow. Um, and everyone already, everyone who's purchased either the OSR or the um, TFT, both of which are for sale, uh, versions already has their PDF download links. So it, it's very much an instant gratification type of thing. Yeah. Um, what it doesn't have as much are the big network networking effects and discovery effects that Kickstarter has. Yeah. Um, so we've got about 200 people uh, who are already in. Um, you know, a typical TFT campaign for me is is more five or six hundred. Six hundred, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the good ones are six hundred or or a little bit more. The uh, the slower ones are between five hundred and and five hundred and fifty. Um, so I'm hoping that we have a buildup uh, that over time the launch is kind of the month of September. So there's yeah. still plenty. Uh, it's just the first week. Um, so I'm hoping we get with some discovery. We've we've had uh, uh, about two hundred and 15 people so far um and you know I'm, I'm also hoping that retailers yeah your favorite local game store yeah uh at least in the united states take an interest in this one because there's a full dozen books available for the dungeon fantasy role-playing game and now 15 books of support material for the fantasy trip yeah. through gaming ballistic so you can put an awful lot of buy this box set or this core book and here's great support material yeah. both from steve jackson games uh as well as gaming ballistic yeah. uh so that people can come back to the store and play and, and whatever um and, and so you know people like a well-supported game what yeah, can i get yeah. oh here's the rack yeah here's the rack uh, stuff, and yeah. so i and so i'm hoping that people see it and they go to their favorite game store and say hey you guys should place an order uh yeah. because you know there, there's uh uh there's very little wrong with the gaming ballistic business model that either 500 more customers or <laughs> or 100 game stores yeah. right one or two game stores per u.s state uh is the difference between me saying okay i can totally focus on just making games yeah uh versus am i going to be still doing this in a couple months yeah um it's a hard industry and over two yeah. years of pandemic it's a very hard industry yeah um but uh you know it, it's we shall see it, this was a deliberate experiment bypassing the marketing machine that is kickstarter is yeah. was a risk yeah uh we'll see if it works out i was gonna say speaking about the project management and delivering on the kickstarters as well i mean yours do an amazing job to put us i've backed a few kickstarters i don't think any have ever fulfilled as quickly and to as high quality as yours do to be honest um and it's one of those things that, I mean, how'd you do it, I guess? <laughs> so Not to, not to some, steal your model, but. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's uh, like, uh, uh, it, it's Klaus Witzian, if you're, if you're the, the uh, his on war books, right? Everything in publishing is simple, right? It's yeah. just that some of those simple things are difficult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? I need to write a manuscript. Well, that's, okay, that's a difficult task to write well. Yeah. But. You know, it's the, the things that you, so I used to be in, first I was a, a management consulting, and then I was a R&D technical manager. And when you have to invent new physics or explore the boundaries of current physics to make one or two nanometer diamond-like coatings for hard disk drives to not die yeah. uh, with purpose-built five, six million dollar per unit pieces of equipment, that's not simple. 
right? And you don't know what you're getting into until you're there. With yeah. publishing, you do. You open the front cover of popular books. Like I could go to my shelf, open the front cover of the Player's Handbook and the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, GURPS uh, uh, basic set. Yeah. And what you need to do is printed on the title page. The credits page lists all the things that someone said, this is important enough for me to pay money and recognize. Yeah. And you study that and you say, well, gee, am I doing that? Am I outsourcing it? What's the sequence? What's the, in management terms, critical path? Yeah. What things, if they are delayed, slow me down? What things can happen in parallel and will intersect some other point? Um, and putting those skills to work and having a good idea of how long they take and what can go wrong and having some, uh, they call it slack time, but, you know, having some buffer in the schedule to allow yeah. real life to happen, yeah. uh, doubly important in time of global shipping catastrophe and yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, do what you, you know, say what you're going to do, do what you say. And that that's really what it boils down to um so i mean i feel like my project management skills have been up to the task almost every time uh one of the more recent books uh uh launches required significant rewrites because what i got and what i thought that the customers wanted uh were not in line yeah um and so First, I was like, I think we should do this differently. I got back slightly different. I'm like, I think we should do this a lot differently. <laughs> um, and, and so I laid in and, 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 and worked with the, the team to do that uh, in a way that I thought would be uh, more satisfying. Um, you know, Because the thing is, role-playing games are not fiction, yeah. right? Role-playing games are open-ended. And if you're going to tell a story, then you're in the wrong medium. Yeah. Right. The the and and it it's one of those things where you really want as a as a role playing game writer. It it's how can I make cool things for my players to have fun. Yeah. Uh, it it is not, you know, the uh, uh, it, it's very difficult to have the same kind of epic narrative feel where you're saying here are all the cool story beats. Well, the players are supposed to be inventing the story beats. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you know, so at least that's how I'm writing the stuff. Now, if you want to do a cool epic story, there's this nifty thing called a programmed adventure. Yeah. Uh, the 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 solos, yeah. which can all like uh, Dark Lord's Doom and um, uh, Dragon Hunt. Yeah. David David so, uh, most recent solos from the More Perilous Journeys project. Uh, they're long, uh, twenty eight yeah. and, and forty four pages. Uh, they're very involved and they're really 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 hard. Yeah. Uh, Dragon <laughs> Hunt was initially take one character and go through this programmed adventure and and try and win and you know we sent out our preliminary playtest copies to some of the early backers and stuff and they're like oh my god this adventure is wiping the floor with us <laughs> right we, we died in the first encounter in some scrub right we there's no way and so we said oh, we'll take two characters and they got a little farther and they still got smacked down and they're like well I better take all three of the pregens they're like oh my god we we had a hard fight but at least we survived didn't see that one coming until after play um, experience, but you know that's a game where you could easily uh, take three people plus a referee um, and have an awful lot of fun 
doing a programmed adventure, but doing it more as a refereed scenario. Uh, Dark Lord's Doom, you play a squad of four soldiers. Yep. And you can either do that yourself or you have four people around the table uh, with a referee or not, right? I mean, the yep. solo play means that you can do it. Um, and both of those are very challenging um, uh, and have a lot of replay value because you do get your butt kicked a few times. Um, yeah, so so the solos are great stuff. Uh, and actually, that's something that I would really like to, you know, GURPS used to have or still really has Caravan to Ein Aras, a solo. No, uh, no, no, no. Uh, what was it? Caravan was a solo, but then there was another one uh, featuring the Die Blackthorn, and I'm blanking what that was. But it was a it was a little solo introductory adventure. Oh. Uh, and now I'm now it's going to bug me. Bug um, me now as well. It was something in the yeah. night, I think it was called. But I can't yeah, remember. one yeah. yeah, night on the town. No, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Point is, is that <laughs> a little bit of a, a, a like a Delver grow solo adventure. Yeah. Um, one or two little scenarios per archetype would be a lot of fun and be a very useful thing for uh, to get people in practiced at, at, at some of the bits. Well, speaking of that, one of the things I was going to discuss is that I have, because I do a lot of GURPS and I've got these fantasy trips adventures and I don't tend to use them as much because uh, I don't run as much fantasy trip, to be honest, is yep. that I have used quite a few of them in my GURPS games <laughs> instead. Yeah, yeah. The Jock Cervantes series quite a lot recently because I found that's quite a cool one to kind of throw in there. Uh, Jock himself being quite an interesting character to <laughs> throw in there. So Christopher R. Rice shining through in some of those ones there. Um, I've had quite a few conversations with Christopher around converting them, but I think that's one of the things I quite like about the products is that I feel they are not fully interchangeable, but the stuff in them that means you can use them. So you could use the bones from one of them to run in the other system. Um, and I found that quite an interesting thing to do. And I don't know if there's any, because I mean, some of the writers seem to cross across as well. So I don't know whether there's that sort of in the community, if that's something you see a lot of. I mean, it certainly seems to be in the, the, the community that are buying them. There seems to be a bit of a crossover between those two. There is there is some, there is less than you'd think, uh, I think because... There's going to be some crossover. I think a lot of the people who play TFT uh, really want that particular yeah. uh, rules light experience. And a lot of the players who want the customization and stuff that you can get with uh, Powered by GURPS and GURPS, um, that's what they're looking for. And yeah. the nice thing about the 3D6 roll low mechanic that is inherent to both is you can be like, oh, it's a lot like this, but yeah. with tweaks. Um, and, and so the play experience is similar. The kind of the death spiral in a way is, is, is somewhat similar in that, uh, you know, once you take a hit, um, you're, you're a little you're worried trouble. about, yep. yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, so, so there is some of that. There is some of that. Um, there are no formal conversion guides. I've, I've started no. to see, uh, things popping up. Uh, although David Pulver wrote a pyramid article that was article, dual yeah. statted. Pyramid 3118, oh. called Istvan's Hole, was cross-statted for both TFT and the Dungeon Fantasy. Uh, so that becomes a touchstone that uh, a game master or player could use to, uh, to bounce back and forth. Last thing I want to touch on as well, just to make um, everyone who's listening aware that you have a Patreon as well, don't you? Gaming Ballistic has a Patreon too, as well as a web store. So talk us through a little bit about the Patreon and what sort of things you offer on there. Uh, so the, the Patreon is, is fairly low buy and you know, $5 a month, there's a $10 level. I used to have uh, 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 more expensive, but uh, you know, really what that is, 
is uh, it, it's two things. One is just a it, it's helping me run the month to month piece as I start getting into the next two big projects. Uh, the one that is most pertinent is the Nordland Bestiary. Oh yeah, is, is the next. <laughs> yep. So that's going to be. Uh, that that I was originally going to do a big two hundred and some odd page hardcover, uh, but that requires a thousand backers, yeah, or twelve hundred or fifteen hundred people uh, to do with the production values and the scale that that you want to do for a book like that. Uh, so what I'm looking at, and this may change, what I'm looking at is doing five shorter books, possibly PDF only, yeah, and then going with the hardcover yeah because all the stuff will have been done over time you know what you're doing and it'll be very quick it's like do we do it or not and if we yeah. get to this level you've got it and the art is all paid for and done and, and yeah. whatever um and and so that's what i'm looking at i'm not sure if that's going to be the right thing or not but you know it's all it's all a bit unknown um but what the patreon will help with for that uh is i will start actually once we get off the phone one of my tasks today is to start i've done some good organization work and taking all the monsters that i want to do um because you know you've got totally not x from the uh srd yeah. um you know uh <laughs> uh you know oh well, that, that this looks an awful lot like a basilisk but with a different name no 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 no, 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 no. totally not right sure coincidence, uh, <laughs> coincidence no but you know whatever um, but in any case, I've got, I think I've got about 40 critters per book. Yeah. Um, so enough. And there's, there's usually like about half will comport to a theme. Yeah. Like, I, I think the first one is going to be like fairy or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, but there's also going to be some other things. There are going to be some NPCs, uh, you know, ready to go characters or ready, you know, background stuff. There's going to be a lot of beasts, yeah. like mundane creatures and maybe not so mundane creatures. Because, you know, if you have, if you stat up a house cat, then you need to stat up a dire, terrible house cat. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have this cute little thing saying meow, and then you got a flirt. Yeah, yeah. That's right. If, if you're going to stat up a house cat, you need a version that's a flurkin. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that yeah. you say, oh, well, here's a nice little kitty. And then it eats the entire party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got to keep people on their toes. But anyway, so that's one of the things. And so what I will start doing is I'll release these monsters one at a time to my Patreon. Yeah. And then hopefully the patrons will take these creatures and test them. Right. I, I ran my party up against one of these guys and this worked and this didn't, and we need to tweak this and more strength or less strength or whatever would be helpful. Or have we considered this? So we'll get a little bit of, of preview play testing, yeah. play testing and stuff. And also, you know, um, the, the art is expensive. Yeah. Proper mm -hmm. art is expensive. Yeah. Um, to, to a, a quarter page piece of art is going to run you between in color is going to run me between a hundred and $200 a piece per page yeah uh right so every monster is going to have its thing and it's going to cost that much you know and honestly that's one of the reasons why the fantasy trip is is an easier playing ground uh to succeed in is that the production values of the fantasy trip are really embrace the black and white space yeah uh and it's a good look i don't want to denigrate it because it's a good look 
Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the artists out there are just brilliant at bringing line art or grayscale to life. One of my artists in particular is, I feel that she is really in her element in the black and white space more so than, than you know, her, her color palette yeah. uh, is, is a little different. But in any case, uh, they both bring a different sensibility, but, you know, printing something in black and white is just easier. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's more room for, oh, this didn't do quite as, as well as I'd hoped. So yeah. it, it's a less of a profit, but still a profit. Whereas yeah. like my Kickstarter Nordlander sagas, uh, Forest End and, and, uh, Dragons of Rosgarth, uh, and Hand of Rosgarth and Nordlander folk that didn't do nearly as well as I had hoped. And that one lost like 10 or $15,000. Yeah. Right. And that, that wasn't, oh, I failed to meet my goals by that much. That was, gee, I overspent by That's that it, much. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that was because the prices that I charged in the Kickstarter reflected, well, they weren't high enough because it started off as like a 64 page book or a 48 yeah. page book. And they wind up at 112 and 96 <laughs> because I look at these, I'm like, these are not what they need to be at this page yeah. count. And I'd already, you know, unfortunately, the, you know, had some new authors and yeah. they, real life happened and it took a little longer to, to do. So by the time that the books were done, one of them was almost twice as long as it needed yeah. to be. So, and then I tried to make up for that by flinging money at the art budget, yeah, which makes for very pretty books, but it doesn't yeah. do great things for bottom line. But you know, you live, you learn. I do appreciate the pretty books that has to be said. I do really appreciate the quality. The, 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 I, the, art that the team brings to Nordland has been fantastic. Just great stuff. And ev almost every image, not every, every image, but almost all the images are custom commissioned. Yeah. What is best for this page? Sometimes I'm lucky and I'm like, oh, this piece of stock art is best for this page. Uh, and one of my artists, Dean Spencer, is, is simply fantastic at that. Um, uh, Eric Lofgren is another guy who does great full cover, like the uh, character collections rookies cover, oh, yeah. which shows a, a couple adventurers arguing with each other over yeah. a map and a dragon, dragon behind, behind them, them like, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. look, so, someone brought delivery Munch, to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is outstanding. Um, is, 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 I, I couldn't have had a better cover for that book had I said, okay, this is what I want. Well, what I wanted is what he gave me. Um, and so that was a great uh, find as well. But by and large, I try and do uh, as much custom art as I can afford on a project because bringing this all the way around to the beginning, one of the great ways of introducing a group of players uh, to a setting is to show them a picture, yeah. right? Show them a picture. This is what you walk into. This is what a village looks like. This is what a player character dressed up in this looks like. Uh, there was a great image in uh, Kreisovic that uh, one of a, a new artist for me did where and uh, you've got, uh, I'll show it because you and I are on video, but, but uh, on page 13, this one oh, yeah. uh, is fantastic because it, it shows everybody's armed and everyone's having a good time and you've got the shields and the spears and yep. you know uh, and and it's a diverse little picture because not everybody you think vikings you think blonde nordic whatever whatever yep. but nordland is not that it has a back history where people came from all over 
and were part of this dragon empire, which then fell and they came south and made Nordland. And you can put almost anything there. And beyond Nordland is there's a totally not Korea and Japan. And there's a totally not the Mongol horde because there's needs. There's always a, 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 a you know, horse tribe thing, yep. whether it's whether it's the Dothraki yep. or if you were ever a David Eddings fan, the Algar clans, yeah. if you want the evil and not evil versions of that um, or whatever. Um, you know, there's the, the cat folk that we put into Nordlander folk come from totally not Egypt. Yeah. Right. And we've also got like totally not Carolingian France yeah. uh, with uh, counties with a fairly weak monarchy. And we've got totally not Celtic uh, regions uh, in Brionu, which totally exists there because we're like, well, where are totally not Vikings going to raid? Yeah. Uh, we need a target. And so we yeah, stuck yeah. some targets there. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm even tempted to do, uh, although I'm not quite there yet, is I kind of want to have a civil war in Nordland yeah. and where have regions are fighting each other, uh, broken up by the high Jarls. The high lords uh, are regionally fighting each other. And then some of the Jarls break away and fight each other and stuff so that you can really embrace the internal person-to-person -person conflict yeah. within a realm and say, you know, we don't have to worry about going off to fight lizard folk, uh, you know, the Ethlu folk, yeah. Ganga Ethla, which are totally not lizard folk and totally not kobolds. Yeah. We don't have to go <laughs> fight the the fairy, uh, the Alfar and the North Nordalfs, which are totally not goblins and totally not uh, hobs and stuff. Um, but, you know, that's all cool. I mean, it's good stuff. But for people who want more grounded campaigns, what I would actually say is the best thing that you can do is break up Nordland into a, into a series of warring Jarldoms. Yeah. And every, every journey is fraught with peril. And it's more, and so that would be a way of, of taking it down to a more human level. Yeah, brilliant. So I think we're kind of coming up to the end of the time now. So I just wanted yeah. to say um, thank you again for your time. And I'm, I'm really excited, also slightly nervous, but really <laughs> this extra play because it's the first one I've done, but really excited to kind of get out there and play it with some players and kind of show your work and also get really into the, the lore of Nordland. Um, so just any last thoughts you want to say before you go? You know, uh, I guess what I'd say is, first of all, thank you for running the game in Nordland and running it publicly. Uh, I think it's a great setting, uh, you know, between Dragon Heresy and Nordland, there's a complete Viking world out there that that happened even a little bit before vikings started to be cooler yeah. um because it's been years in development and so there's a lot there uh but you know embrace it go out do cool things and uh you know if your party gets tpk you can wake them up as 400 point honor yar uh and then you know just it doesn't, you know death is only the beginning right um so uh, uh but you know seriously uh you know, thanks for running it. And uh, as you tell stories, keep them in mind, because if something cool happens, who knows, maybe we can see it in print, yeah, right? The, 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 cool, <laughs> the, cool, the coolest ideas start from something that uh, uh, either you want to happen at the table or like, oh, well, here's something that was really interesting and we're just going to run with that. And, you know, uh, the other thing that I would say is uh, there's a giant region of extreme violence and danger uh, to the north and west of Nordland called the Hunted Lands. And that is a great place to spread out a variety of challenge levels. So when yeah. in doubt, a village in the Hunted Lands is, is in danger, go save them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always good advice. So thank you, Doug. Thanks again. And hopefully I'll be speaking to you again soon.
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed what was the first interview I've ever done on the show. I've got a few more lined up, but that was the first one. As a quick kind of addendum, it came to about an hour after the show that the um, solo adventure we're talking about for GURPS, the old one, was called All in a Night's Work, and the one using Die Blackthorn. It's one of the pre-generated characters. He's still a pre-generated character in 4th edition, uh, but they don't have that... Um, solo adventure in there anymore so yeah and as always if anyone's got any comments and questions please feel free to leave me a voice message on anchor at anchor.fm slash gm shadow you can email me also at gm shadow at hotmail.com and you can find me at twitter gm shadow on various discords so including the gurps and gaming ballistic and roleplay rescue discord so until next time everyone please on gaming mm-hmm.